creating these sacred little spaces of sitting with my grief became not so much about what I'm displaying. So it's not necessarily that you have a picture of your deceased person or your loved ones or anything like that, because it's not about the external environment. But instead, it was more about making sure that I had daily time to fall apart and like allow myself to fall apart. And sometimes it would literally be, I'm setting a timer for 20 minutes and I'm going to just light a candle, sit on my little sheepskin and just ball my eyes out for 30 minutes or 20 minutes. And when that timer stops, I'm going to bow to myself and dry my tears and you know fix my mascara or whatever. And then I'm going to keep going with my life because my children need me, my work needs me. and. I think that's probably the most powerful way I've learned to create sacred space in my home for my emotions and for my grief. Hello, and welcome to the Emotional Expedition Podcast. I'm Meg Thomas, and if you want to live a more open-hearted, magical life, It all starts with your emotions. This podcast will take you on a journey, helping you to better understand, express, release, and heal your emotions. Let's get exploring. Welcome back, everyone. I have a very special guest, and it's going to be a little bit of a jump from our typical episodes, and I think it's going to tie in beautifully, and I cannot wait to share Paula Aguadello with you. She is a sacred interior designer. She's a coach and a mentor. She's a speaker. She's the founder of Sacred Interiors Academy, also owner of Sacred Interiors, an interior design firm that specializes in designing mindful and intentional living spaces. She's a devoted yogini, just like me, lover of the mystical, a natural home birth, conscious parenting mama, and a kundalini yoga teacher. So that's where our paths have overlapped. It's her passion to help women design their homes into sacred spaces, and she believes in living spaces that are not only visually appealing and functional, but are also support our spiritual and emotional journey. And that's where we connect right there, connecting our homes with our own interior emotional journeys. And she's also author of the book, The Path of Beauty, A Discovery of My Sacred Interior. And of course, all of the links will be in the show notes. And I can't wait to get into this conversation. So welcome, Paula. How are you? I am so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Mm, So happy to have you here. So we like to go back to the beginning. We like to start with your journey. How did you get to where you are today? Can you tell us a little bit about what young little Paula was like? Yes, I think little Paula is exactly how I got here. My journey started in Colombia. That's where I was born. And I think my entire life took a completely different turn when I was nine. My dad was murdered when I was nine. 
And I oftentimes feel nervous sharing that from the get-go, but that is so much the foundation of the work that I do is about death and loss. When I was about 13 years old, we moved to America. And that's when my journey with design really started because we had nothing. And I started decorating our apartment with furniture from the trash and stuff I found on walks in the neighborhood. And that's where sacred design began with creating these spaces that we're holding our emotional journey, our grief, our difficulties, and finding ways to just have fun and surround ourselves with beauty when things were just not beautiful at all. (laughs) Mm. So in a nutshell, yeah, it's a bit of a sad story how it all began. Yep. But that's the darkness that brought me here. Mm. Thank you for just opening up right off the bat. And I know my loss of my dad was what first opened me to becoming a photographer and wanting to have those memories because my dad died when I was five. And when I was a baby, our house burned down. And so I lost all the pictures. So for me, that moment in time really, like you were saying, shaped the direction that my life went in. It was so important to me to have the few pictures that I do have. And I wanted to make sure it was my mission for the longest time to make sure that other people had pictures of their loved ones and that that was available to them. So how have you been able to either honor or stay connected to your dad through your home? That's a really beautiful question. It's been a journey, the journey of death. I often share with people that Sacred Interiors was born out of death and birth. Mm. Both those things completely changed the way I work in my life and share with people. After losing my dad, that just took us into different levels of loss. You know, uh, my mom almost died a few years after that had a long journey with illness and cancer. Then my brother died. My youngest brother died. Um, I had a boyfriend that was the love of my life who also died. I had a miscarriage a few years after that. And so I mentioned all of that because my first loss was my dad, but I didn't actually fully feel that grief until probably when my brother died, which was 18 years later. And so the way that my dad continues to be a part of my life now is growing and evolving. And I feel that as I get older, I connect with him more and more. And yeah, it's a beautiful journey to kind of bring all that loss into one sense of unity with him. Yeah. Hmm. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I didn't even know all of those pieces. So thank you for going there. Yeah. How are you able to create spaces that maybe honor the grief that lives inside of you, but isn't 
a sad reminder all the time. And I don't know if I'm articulating that in the way that I'm trying to see it, but right, it's like we don't always want to create these moments in our home or these almost trigger points that bring up the sadness, but also in a way of celebrating. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I get why it can be tricky to ask that because it's not a linear process. I think with grief, the most powerful thing I've learned about grief is that it just comes in waves. And sometimes the waves take you really high where you really understand that the reason it hurts so much is because that's immediately showing you how much you're able to love someone. It's like that mirror effect of your heart breaks and hurts that much because that's how much you're able to love. Mm. And to me, that's a high. It's a celebration of my heart is able to love this much and therefore it hurts. But it's also sometimes, you know, a wave that takes you really low into the depths of darkness and pain and anguish. And so I think for me, creating these sacred little spaces of sitting with my grief became not so much about what I'm displaying. So it's not necessarily that you have a picture of your deceased person or your loved ones or anything like that, because it's not about the external environment. But instead, it was more about making sure that I had daily time to fall apart and like allow myself to fall apart. And sometimes it would literally be, I'm setting a timer for 20 minutes and I'm going to just light a candle, sit on my little sheepskin and just ball my eyes out for 30 minutes or 20 minutes. And when that timer stops, I'm going to bow to myself and dry my tears and you know, fix my mascara or whatever. And then I'm going to keep going with my life because my children need me, my work needs me. And I think that's probably the most powerful way I've learned to create sacred space in my home for my emotions and for my grief. Mm. I love that. How does the space... So you mentioned something that I love to talk about on here, which is allowing us to go into all emotions, whether they be high vibrational joy or grief or shame. So you're doing the work of going into your emotions. How does the space that you are creating, you even just mentioned being on a sheepskin, lighting a candle, how does that help us to do this work? Yeah, I love that. So I always love to say, think of your home as two things. One, it is your temple. It is the temple of where you live. The home, it's usually the space where the most sacred and beautiful things in our life happens, right? It's where we make love. It's where we conceive our children. It's where we nourish ourselves through food. Is where we gather and make beautiful memories with our loved ones. It's where we relax, where we rejuvenate. But it's also often where we express, let's say, the darkness, right? It's where we have these arguments and 
you know, difficulties with other people. It's where we fall apart and cry and rage. And it's like that interior space where you can show up exactly as you are. So that's one way to see it as your temple. But the other way is to see it as your vision board. And that's one way in which I feel home has the capacity to hold both the darkness and the light or the difficult emotions and the beautiful ones, right? And it's not like we want to spiritually bypass that darkness, but you know, we do want to be surrounded by an environment that is inspiring us and uplifting us to continue to rise to who we really want to be, right? And so I love having specific spaces in the home that calls for certain emotions that I want to feel. Because if you've been doing any kind of like manifestation work or you're creating any kind of intentions for your life, being in the energy of feeling more of those emotions that connect you to that goal and that vision is really important. And so, for example, if I'm going through a grieving process, I might have a specific altar for my father and my brother and the people I'm grieving. And I know that that's a container for that, but I'm not necessarily going to have these big pictures of them as soon as I enter my home, because maybe that's not the energy I'm wanting to be in. Instead, I might have some beautiful, fresh flowers and a fountain that reminds me I'm flowing with life and I'm alive and blooming. And it sounds really poetic and it is, (laughs) but it's also very simple. It's very simple to find ways in which we're continuously inspiring ourselves and uplifting ourselves through our home environment. Love this so much. You're making it seem that it's accessible in the way, you know, I know people may be listening and be like, oh my gosh, I I can't afford to redecorate my entire house. And that's not what you're saying. You're saying creating these moments. I imagine some of it is probably repurposing things from other areas of the home. Would you mind going a little deeper into is it what you refer to as an energy map of the home, these different areas? Is that the right yes. language? Yes, 100%. And I just want to touch base on what you just said, which is, yes, you don't need to have a lot of money or any for that matter. I mean, I started with trash from my neighbors. And regardless of what we were going through, when I was 13, I dropped out of school to work because my mom was very sick. And I had two younger siblings. And we didn't have any family in America. It was just us. So I dropped out of middle school to clean and I used to clean houses. And there were two things that I vividly remember from that time. And it was one, my clients at the time who I used to lie to and say I was 18, because I was, you know, a minor and I was not supposed to work. So I used to be 18 for the longest time, which was funny. But they would always really appreciate what I would do after cleaning, which would usually be like I would rearrange something in a different way. Maybe I would cut some flowers from outside and put them in a little vase. Like I would always leave my touch in the houses I was cleaning. And people felt that. And 
So I just wanted to touch base on that. You don't need to have a lot of money. In fact, I often say, shop around your home and just find ways to reuse what you have in one room and move it to another room and just intuitively feel into it without all the logic and, you know, head space. That being said, the energy map that you're mentioning is the foundation of the sacred work I do in design, which is essentially creating a grid that is based on nine energy areas of our life that also live in our home and in our spaces. And these areas to me are the way we can bring harmony to the wholesome kind of picture, like the whole picture of who we are. And this relates to our relationships in romance with our partners. It relates to our area of wisdom, which is our spiritual wisdom, but also our sense of knowledge about you know our work or skills that we're wanting to gain. There are also the areas of reputation, which to me, that speaks of our integrity with how we show up outside in the world and how we see ourselves and making sure that that's one cohesive image. We have the area of wealth, which relates to our money, our relationship to money, the area of career, which is about our profession, but also about our dharma, our purpose in life what we bring to serve the world. We have the area of children and creativity, which relates to our own children, if we have children, but also our relationship with other children in our life Mm -hmm. and our own inner child. And then we also have the area of ancestors, which is a great area for these like grieving altars or forgiveness altars is also what I often call them and our network and friends area as well. So when we think of our life and our home in this way, what I have found happens with my clients is that they start walking, like literally walking around their home with so much more reverence, where if you know that your romance area and the intentions you have in your life for your relationship Or maybe when you become aware of what's not working well in your relationship and you just become really honest with yourself, getting to that point of deciding I want to create something new and then expressing that through our tangible things like the 3D. I think this is something that as yogis or spiritual beings sometimes gets pushed away, like we can't be materialistic, you know? But to me, using material things and using our senses, what we see, what we touch, what we smell, what we hear, really enhances our experience of life. So if my romance area is in my kitchen and I create a small little altar with maybe a picture of my partner and a beautiful heart crystal or some fresh flowers, when I come in the morning to make my coffee, and I catch a glimpse of that little altar, I have an opportunity to send more intentions to that area of my life. I have an opportunity to pray about it while my coffee brews. And so imagine if we're walking our home 
with so much intention. And that's the energy and the vibration of our thoughts and what we're feeling all day long. Like I work at home, I'm home all day. How much more powerful these areas of our life, you know, are. So it's not a magic recipe. Like if you buy this, you get that. (laughs) Like it's not transactional, but it is just about awareness and it is about intention and how can I surround myself with that higher vibration of what I want to call for my life. So that's where we first start. Anytime my clients design a room with me, we start there. Where are you at? What's the inventory of this area of your life with radical honesty and accountability? And then what do we want to create? Mm. I thought... I made an assumption that the romance would equal the bedroom. Like I made that assumption. And so you just blew my mind by being like, the romance can be. So when you think of having these areas of romance in your life, are they typically in more than one room? Or is it just like one space is dedicated to that? How does that work? Because I totally made that assumption. Oh, of course, it's the bedroom. That's where it is, right? Yeah, it's a common assumption and it's not wrong. It is true that the bedroom is your primary space of romance. But the way the energy map works is it can be applied on a micro level or a macro level, meaning we can plot that energy map in the entire floor plan of your entire home. And then you'll start seeing that maybe your romance area is in the garage mainly, which is bizarre and it happens. (laughs) But then you can also apply this on a micro level where you create the grid only for the room that you want to address. So maybe it's just your office space. Maybe it's just the master bedroom that you're working with. And sometimes I work a lot with entrepreneurs and sometimes we plot these nine areas on their desk and maybe just their desk has this grid where we're creating these specific intentions. So you can take it as as small or as big as you want. Mm, I love that. Personally, I'm on my own fertility journey and work with a lot of clients who are as well. For someone who is calling in the soul of a child, would you recommend in the home? Because for I understand I've been on this journey for much longer than I anticipated. And for me, if I would have, I think, and I could be wrong, I'm, I'm open to being proven wrong on this. For me, it felt like to dedicate an entire room to a baby's room while going through this journey and the amount of disappointments and experiences that I've had felt like too much for me to do a whole room. So how I've brought in things is I have put rose quartz, for instance, under my bed. I've put a piece for me, a piece for my husband, and then a piece for the baby under. So I've done little moments like that. Is that what you would suggest as well? I love that you're asking me this. And I think this is part of one more reason I connected with your work, because I went through my own fertility journey too. And that brought me so much growth and just so much love and respect for other women. 
I agree with you. I'm actually not a big fan of nurseries, even when we have a baby, because the truth is 99% of people don't end up using the nursery. It's just not practical because you're tired and you're you know up all night. Mm-hmm. So going back and forth to the nursery just doesn't work. So I'm not a big fan of nurseries. I went through the you know phase of designing the perfect nursery in my own journey, and it just it was a waste of money. It just wasn't a good idea. But to answer your question more directly, something I work with a lot with my clients in design is on top of the intentions we're creating for this energy map, we're working with different feminine archetypes. And so in this case, the feminine archetype of the mother archetype is where I would focus on. And typically, on a very practical level, the way the archetype of the mother is expressed through design would be through some of the items you're mentioning, rose quartz, heart-shaped items, round items, because it mimics that space of the womb, very soft lighting, a lot of fresh flowers and like those very feminine colors, pink, anything that relates to fertility. So any symbolism of fertility, and it could be based on different belief systems, but you know, there could be statues of goddesses with their big womb space, like really open pomegranates, like having three or nine pomegranates on your kitchen island, which refers to fertility. So a lot of intentional decor is through symbolism and colors and shapes, you know, anything that connects you to that energy of creation in this particular case, you know, the mother energy. And that's kind of on a on an exterior level. On an internal level, I mean, that's quite a journey that obviously you're more than on the path of sharing and working with people through that. But I would say on an internal level, it's a lot about creating all the time, being in that energy of creation, whether it's literally a biological child or using our creativity in many other ways, because Mm -hmm. I strongly believe we're all mothers, whether it's to children or other people or businesses or hobbies or art, the energy of the mother is the creation of all. Mm. Thank you. I love that very much. Now, one of the emotions that comes up probably more than any of the other emotions through this podcast and through the conversations I've been having with people is stress. Say somebody has a really stressful life or a really stressful job. Are there ways that we can use our home to create more of the feeling we want or more of the emotion we want? So whether it's if we're really stressed and we want peace and calm or tranquility, something like that. Are there ways to do that to help ourselves? 100%. And that's typically the first question I ask my clients when they work with me is, how do you want to feel in your home? And it varies. But for a lot of people, a huge number of people, it's I want to feel peace and tranquility and serenity. Because most of us are just stressed. That's just 
the real world we're in, right? The levels of stress are so high, even for children. I would even say, especially for children. But one of the things that I always speak of is releasing what you don't need. Because I find a huge part of what creates stress at home is that people have too much, too disorganized, too much clutter, and then they become like stuff managers. They're dealing with stuff all the time. You're picking stuff up. You're overwhelmed by the amount of laundry. You're overwhelmed by the amount of just stuff everywhere. And so the first, I think, nip it in the bud approach for stress is have less. You don't need to have that much stuff. That as it is creates a sense of calmness and creates a sense of peace because literally everything you have in your home is calling for your attention. Mm -hmm. Like even just visually, everything is calling for your attention. So if you have a bunch of stuff screaming at you. It's like if you have a bunch of whiny kids, then they all want your attention. It's hard. It's hard to not feel stressed. So the power of less is huge. I like to call that process of decluttering, quieting your home. Just like we need to find time to quiet our own mind, we need to quiet the home. Because even if we don't realize it, it's adding to our stress. And then once we do that, once we quiet the home, then we're able to add with intention things that cultivate that sense of peace. So maybe it's more aromatherapy. So I'm a big fan of having diffusers all throughout the home. Flowers are huge. I love flowers. I think they just create so much inspiration and and relaxation. And then we can get really, really detailed with the colors we're using on the walls, the kind of fabrics that we're using for our furniture. But I think the first thing is to just release all those things that are causing stress in our life. Mm. That is super helpful. So that would be the first step, right? The first step is usually some form of decluttering. And then what do you suggest Is it looking at each room as I want to feel this in, you know, for instance, my office where I am right now has a totally different vibe than any other room in the house. And do you connect with the emotion of each emotion and intention, I guess I would say, of each room? And are they different? And then Also, do they connect as a collective, like as a whole, as the whole home? Does that, is that a part of this as well? Absolutely. I think if we think of each room in terms of, you know, each space has different functions that it needs to meet us with, right? Like this is your office, this is where you record, this is where you work. So getting really practical with what is it that I want to do in this space? But then this is part of the sacred approach is because we're working with this intention, right? So maybe we would get clear on what your goals and your intentions for your business are and for your podcast. You know, how many people do you want to have subscribed? Whatever specific goals might be, they're always, always paired with an emotion, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's that feeling space that brings us closer to those goals. It's 
feeling that now versus waiting until I have the million downloads from the podcast to feel successful, right? Let's say. And so cultivating that sometimes where I would say actually always is very subjective to each person. What does success mean to you, right? And then my job would be to find a way to create tangible experiences of that feeling of success so that every time you walk in your office, that's the energy you're feeling is I am successful, right? And Mm. sometimes it's even paired with an affirmation. Maybe it's a big giant piece of art that says I am successful and you walk in and it's like, yep, I am, you know? So that speaks to whatever we want to cultivate emotion-wise for each space. And then, yes, there is important sense of harmony for all the rooms in the home to sort of flow from one to the other. But that doesn't mean that they can't all be unique and different in their own way. And that's, I think, where the design skills might come in handy. (laughs) Mm, Yes. And I keep thinking of James Clear's work. He wrote the book Atomic Habits. And and really bringing this present to our setting ourselves up for success. And I guess what, what's coming to mind is you're not going to put on your workout clothes or you're not going to go to sleep with your workout clothes on rather than choosing pajamas or however you decide to sleep. But you're not going to sleep in the clothes that you work out in because that's a totally different experience. And for me, how I've created some of that in my own home, just thinking about it now, is where I do yoga. I have a sacred space where, you know, my yoga mat is out. I have some assault lamp and a diffuser, some candles. I have an altar there. And now that I'm thinking about it, I feel like I only have an altar in one area with the intention of an altar. So do you recommend having multiple altars in your home? And how can we help someone trying to create a space for maybe meditation or yoga, creating that sacred space? Do you have any tips on that? Yeah, I think your entire house should be an altar. Mm, say more. And the way that, yeah, the way that looks is very different. I think for our meditation and yoga spaces, it tends to be just easier to set that up. Most people, and I can go into some practical tips to set that particular space up, but I find that most people I work with who have a spiritual practice, you know, just intuitively create their altar and they're happy with that space. But what I encourage people to do is to make altars everywhere else. So one example would be, you know, like my little coffee space altar. So that's where I'm first greeting my day, light my candle. I have some affirmation cards and I have some incense that I light up. I always have fresh flowers in that space. My living room, for example, it's a space where I try to help my kids transition when, when they come back to me because I have 50-50 custody after my divorce. So they spent 50% of their time with their dad. And when they come back, 
I always make sure I have three things on the coffee table. One is I always have fresh flowers, which they're always curious to see. So it becomes rhythm, right? Which creates a really deep sense of safety when you're predictable, right? And what you do. So they know every Thursday afternoon when they come home, they're greeted with these fresh flowers on that table. I also have these cards. It's like an Oracle card deck, but it's a game and it's called We Are Not Strangers. And it's a game with questions and cues to just kind of connect and check in. Sometimes they're funny and lighthearted. Sometimes they're deep, you know, and a candle. So usually when they come home, I light the candle, we have some tea, we pull a card and we connect. And oftentimes we're laughing. A lot of times we're crying. Sometimes they're fighting. It just depends <laughs> what the moment is bringing. But to me, that's an altar. And it might not seem like such mm. because if you come to my home, you're just going to appreciate the candle, the cards and the flowers. But it is an altar because the function of it is very intentional. I know that Monday through Wednesday, that might be messy because I might have stuff on it and, you know, life happens. But come Thursday, I'm cleaning it. I'm setting it up so that my kids can be welcomed home. Mm. Okay. So you're, you're opening us up to the idea that altars can look totally different than what I, what I currently had in mind of so we can create these moments. Yes. Thinking about this work of emotional healing, why should we care about this? Like, how does our homes allow us a space for healing? And for me, safety goes hand in hand for me to do this deeper work of understanding my emotions and healing my emotions and releasing the emotions, I have to feel safe as well. So how does our house or our homes, whatever that looks like for us, help us in our own journey of growth and expansion? Yeah, I think the home is kind of like this womb space. And if we think of it in terms of feeling safe, like there's nothing safer than the mother's womb. And so if we think of our homes as those sacred spaces that contain us, that contain all of us, right? Whether it's the pleasure and the celebration and the and the whatever success or whatever really beautiful emotion, or it's the grief and the sadness and the pain it can sustain us, you know, like that altar of my coffee table is one that I appreciate and love. And that on Thursday, it's typically a really happy space because my kids are coming home. But Monday through Wednesday, it might be the space where I just cry my eyes out because I miss my kids and they're not home. Mm -hmm. And where maybe my guilt about divorce comes up and where my worries about what they're going through at school come up. And so that small space becomes this vortex of I'm bowing my head down to my life experience and I'm owning my life. And that's how our homes can support us. I could do that 
at work if I went to work <laughs> or if I'm in a hotel lobby because I can close my eyes and go within now that I'm trained to do that. But home is typically the space where you can just do that while you're, you know, looking like crap after waking up late or maybe you're naked and you're just you. You're just yourself with your home becoming your mirror. And it just, if we want to, it just helps us see what's really on the inside. Hmm. Does everyone in your home need their own space and somehow, and I'm not speaking of like, oh, everyone needs their own bedroom, but their own place where they can go, where it's just for them. Is that something you think is necessary? 100%. It doesn't matter how small or big your home is. This is something I speak of a lot. I moved a lot in my life. But, you know, now as an adult, I've also moved a lot. Like after my divorce, I've moved a lot. I've lived in really, really small places with like my kids together in one room. Now we live in a big house where we each have our room. We each have our office. Like it's amazing. I love it. But even if you don't have the physical space, crafting small little corners for each person is important. And maybe it's just one little space that everybody uses when they need time on their own. When my kids were little, we used to call it the peace corner. And so it was literally like a space where there's a small little table, there's maybe some cards, some crystals, maybe there's a really nice like pitcher with water. I used to keep like this plastic, really pretty pitcher with water because I needed my kids to drink more water. So (laughs) they would come and sit there And like, if they were having a hard time, if I knew that they were on the verge of a tantrum, if I saw I was on the verge of a tantrum (laughs) myself, then it would be the hint where we would kind of keep each other accountable. Like, mommy, I think you need to go to the peaceful corner, you know? (laughs) And so it's not like this punishment. It's more of this self-awareness space of, whoa, yeah, I think I need to reset. So that became a beautiful space that we all shared and we could just take care of our emotions mm-hmm. there, find a way to calm down and then come back and integrate to cooking or whatever else we were doing. Mm, that's lovely. How do you create spaces with your children? Like, do they get to have input in it? And how's that changed throughout as they've grown in years? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> This is a really funny area. So, you know, when I first found out I was pregnant with my firstborn daughter, I, like I was saying before, I designed like the most beautiful nursery, never used it, not once. Like maybe we took a few pictures there for like <laughs> a baby photo shoot, but that was it. This room was never used. So I learned quickly. And, you know, over the years, I've gone through a very arrogant side of me that claims I'm the designer, I have to have a say on the way this room <laughs> looks and, you know, I'm making it look Pinterest perfect. And then my kids hate it, you know? Mm. It's a funny experience because I have seen how arrogant I've been and how like hyper controlling maybe I want it to be. But as they grown up, and as I've grown up in my own journey as a mom, I realized more and more that 
that's their own sacred space. That's the space where they get to express their own intentions for life, or maybe even express their current state of mind. And so I have totally let go. <laughs> their room is not a reflection of me. And that's the same exact approach I use with my clients is your home is a reflection of you. It doesn't matter what my style as a designer is or what my background as a designer is. It's not about me. It's about you. My job is to help you make sure that you're clear on what you want and bring it together. So my kids now love their rooms. We've worked together to like, they're also obsessed with changing it up. And I, I blame that on me because <laughs> maybe I've taught them to do this too much. And sometimes I'm like, oh my gosh, we're going to change this room again. But in general, when I work with children's spaces, I encourage the parents to let the kids decide. Like that is their sacred space with boundaries, of course. Like the first boundary I share with parents is less is more. Less mm. is more for the kids' anxiety. I have seen it over and over that when parents declutter the kids' spaces, the kids are able to be more imaginative more resourceful with how they play, where if they have too much stuff, you know, and toys nowadays, like you just push a button and it does one thing, there's no open ended play. And the kids get bored and they have so much stuff. And they whine and complain that they're bored, but it's because they're overwhelmed. They don't know what to play with. So yeah, different ages will will tell you different things about your kid. But paying attention to their space. And then also that comes with some education on, you know, this is your space, but this is your sacred space. So how do we treat our sacred space? So no, we're not going to have like food crumbs everywhere and trash and, you know, dirty laundry everywhere either. <laughs> so some of it comes with teaching them slowly to take care of their space. But Projecting our design ideas in their room is just not a good idea. Okay. It doesn't work. <laughs> you are the expert. We will we, we will believe you on that one. If somebody's <laughs> listening to this podcast and they're like, okay, I want to do something, where do you suggest someone starts? Is it with a corner? Is it a whole room, a whole house? Where do you suggest somebody would start? I usually suggest two things. The first is a small corner where you have your daily practice, whatever that means for you, whether it's meditation or yoga or journaling, maybe it's just your morning coffee, anywhere where you are committing to sitting with yourself every single day, that's where I would start. Like choose the chair, the cushion, the rug, a little table for a drink, a candle, flowers, keep it simple. But that's a great way to kind of start creating this vortex of energy. And then the second space is the bedroom. I see people wait to do their bedroom last. Mm. Like they want to do everywhere in the home first and the bedroom is last. And my suggestion is to start with your room because that's the room of self-care. It's your rejuvenation. It's your you know, it's, it's where you sleep. It's where you wake up. It's the beginning and the end of the day. So it's a really important room to start. Mm. Okay. We will do that. We will do that. <laughs> okay. I've got 
I think one last question. I always hesitate to say it's my last question because then something else comes up. But (laughs) what are your thoughts on, I noticed on your website, blessing the home or maybe clearing the energy space? Are they the same? Are they different? Can you talk a little bit about that? Mm, I love that. I do think that there's a difference. And with you know, so much information nowadays, it can be a little bit tricky. But to me, I start with an energy cleansing of the home first. There's like a few guidelines to that. You know, I would say anytime that you're moving into a new space, that's a good time to cleanse the energy and kind of remove any stagnant emotions that may stay there. Because that's the thing about emotions too, is that our physical spaces absorb them. Mm. You know, our physical spaces absorb the worry and the fear, just like our organs absorb those emotions, right? Like in the body, the same is with the home. So cleansing the energy anytime you're moving, anytime that there's an argument or any like really difficult conflict in the home, that's a good time for energy cleansing. But I feel like a lot of people do energy cleansing a lot. And to me, that's like deep cleaning or like clarifying shampoo, you know, like you're just really stripping the home of a lot of energy. So then it's important to come in and deposit some of the intentions, which is where the blessing comes in place. In my website or on my website, there's a blessing way ritual that people can sign up to receive. And it does both. It cleanses the energy and then deposits, you know, a prayer or an intention that someone wants Mm. for their home space. Mm. I love that so much that I just (laughs) got certified last week, came back from breathwork teacher training, and it's been changing my life. And what I'm really noticing is when I release these emotions, these stuck trauma, stuck emotions, when I release the things from my body, I'm not even conscious of what, you know, it doesn't show up for me like, oh, this was when you were seven years old, this thing happened. It's just more like stuck energy in the body releasing. You have to be conscious of what goes back into that space. How do we fill ourselves back up? So I love that you brought that up. It's not just about cleansing the home. It's also about infusing it with what it is we want in the home. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. And I I think it's super important because so much like detoxing or cleansing, 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 but then where is the nourishment coming from? Yeah. So I think that last piece, it's really important. Yeah. Mm. Oh, this has been an incredible conversation. So thank you so much for for sharing. And our homes are such a reflection of our internal state. Yeah, they really are. They really are. And if we can just be more intentional with how we use them, I strongly feel like we can just grow so much more because we're constantly reminded of our potential. That's the bottom line. Hmm. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Let's do some rapid fire. Is, okay. <laughs> what's your favorite book? That was such a hard question. I have so many 
favorite books. You can give us a couple. But <laughs> yeah, I would say one of my favorite, favorite books is called A Return to Love by Marianne Williamson. Yes. Mm-hmm. I love that book. I also really love Radical Awakening by Dr. Shafali. Mm-hmm. And there's also a book that changed my life that might be really helpful for your audience, which is called Parenting Begins Before Conception. Ooh, okay. I don't know that one. All right. Yeah. Mm. It's an old book, but it's really good. Okay. I love that because that may help (laughs) me on my journey. Okay. What are you currently reading? So I'm known for reading like a million books at the same time depending on what I'm in the mood for, you know. There's a couple of really good books I'm reading right now. One, it's called It Didn't Start With You. Mm -hmm. And it's just a lot about releasing family trauma. But I'm not always in the right space to read it because it's deep. It takes you deep. So sometimes I'm like, nah, nah, nah. I need something a little lighter. So I'm reading that book and I'm committed to finishing it. I'm also reading a book called From the Core. And it's by John Wyland, and it's about discovering a new paradigm in masculinity and leadership. Okay. That I'm really loving. And then the last book I'm also reading right now, I forget the exact name, but it's about raising emotionally resilient teens and tweens. Hmm. Okay. I like it. I like it. Those are some deep reads. I too am always reading like 10 books because it depends on the mood. So exactly. (laughs) What is one thing you know for sure? So when I first thought of that question, one thing I know for sure, I thought, well, I don't know anything is (laughs) what I know for sure. Mm -hmm. That's probably it. But then I got more serious. And I think if I know something for sure is that we have to be willing to feel. Mm. We just... We have to be willing to feel. That's the inner work. It's feeling everything. Hmm. Yeah. That speaks to my heart. And and getting to hear more about your journey, it, yeah, that really resonates that we can't get to where you are if we're not willing to feel the good emotions and the bad emotions. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Thank you. And do you have a favorite quote, poem, something you want to leave us with? I do. I thought of Brené Brown, of course, which I figure is so (laughs) perfect for the work that you do. And this really spoke to me. And I think I actually quoted this in my book. And she says, you either walk inside your story and own it, or you stand outside your story and hustle for your worthiness. Hmm. Yep. Yeah. You're speaking to all of us. Yep. Yeah. Uh, pretty much anyone yeah. listening to this podcast, <laughs> right? Is that's the work. Oh, Paula, I am just so grateful for this time with you. If people want to connect with you, we will have links in the show notes. Your Instagram, which is beautiful, is Sacred Interiors. And your website mm-hmm. is sacredinteriors.design. And your book will also have a link to that, The Path of Beauty, A Discovery of My Sacred Interior. Is there anything else you want to leave anyone with? No, 
This is perfect. I'm so grateful and I just feel so satisfied and so inspired by this conversation. And I just hope that everyone can find one simple way to bring more intention into their home space and feel safer and just feel more connected to what they're wanting to design for their lives. Mm. Thank you for the space. I really, really appreciate it. Mm. Thank you, Paula. Yeah. I'm so grateful you're here. Thank you for listening. And if you loved this episode, will you please share it with a friend or two? Be sure to rate, review, and follow the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts, so you're sure to never miss a single episode. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.